Our scripture reading comes from Isaiah chapter 11. Hear the word of the Lord. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leopard will lie with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as waters cover the sea. And that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. This is the word of the Lord. Now is it good? Ooh, there it is. Let's go. Okay. Uh, good morning. I'm pumped to be here. Um, thanks, Jeremy. Uh, love this church. I'm excited to be a part of this family and this body um, and just excited for this morning. Like he said, uh, my name's Cam. My wife, Kayla, is in the back there. Beautiful girl. Um, I've been here for three years in Columbia, Missouri. I'm originally from Colorado. And uh, when I'm feeling really spiritual, I say I followed the Lord's call out to Columbia. But in reality, I just followed Kayla out here. Um, <laughs> So she played basketball here for five years, and then we've been serving on staff with Athletes in Action for uh, about the last two and a half or three years. So we love what we get to do. We get to talk to athletes about Jesus, build them up in their faith, and then hopefully just to send them out to live lives on purpose and on mission. So there's a couple athletes around here today. Say, say what's up to them. Uh, I'm excited you guys are here. Thank you. Um, but we are in the series, the season of Advent. Um, I, don't know about, I don't know if you grew up in a church tradition that celebrated Advent, um, but like Jeremy kind of said earlier this morning, Advent is all about waiting. And I love Advent, or I at least love the idea of Advent, but I don't really like waiting. And I think we're in like a society and a culture right now that's kind of eliminating waiting altogether. So I, I just kind of started reading books recently. Um, I'm kind of new to the game. Um, <laughs> I like it. Uh, and, and I have some friends who do this, and I've heard that a long time ago, like you would go to the bookstore, and you would have to find this book, and you would try to, man, if it's there, hopefully, if not, you've got to order it online, and they'll send it in like a couple weeks. Um, and then you would have to wait for that book. Since I'm new to the game, I'll hear about a good book, and here's how my book process goes. Hear about good book, get on kindle.com or whatever, Amazon, download good book, connect Kindle to Wi-Fi, and have good book, right? Like, I don't have to wait at all. It's gone. Waiting is a thing of the past. Or I remember every, uh, every Thursday, me and my family, we would watch CSI, Crime Scene Investigation. Anybody remember? It was the best. Every Thursday, 7 o'clock, CSI, let's go. Um, and we'd have to wait. 
every single week for this next hour-long episode. But now with like the Netflix phenomena, like what is waiting, right? Like me and my wife watched this series called Dirty John, which isn't as dirty as it sounds, um, in like 48 hours. Like it was done. Eight episodes, gone. Waiting is a thing of the past, right? So that's why I'm thankful for the church calendar. That's why I'm thankful for God and who he is that he calls us into this season of waiting, that we are called to just sit and wait. But it's a different kind of waiting. It's not like I'm going to the grocery store and I'm just going to kind of get in line and here we go, I'm just about to scan myself anyway, so why do I have to wait? It's this waiting with an expectation, waiting for something. And we're threading it together with the book of Isaiah. And we, in, in the book of Isaiah, Jeremy said this last week, the, the book of Isaiah, the theme of the book isn't necessarily wisdom or it's not necessarily a bunch of different themes. The theme is actually God himself. And we're waiting and we're being called to wait back on God. So there's this prophet Isaiah and he's prophesying about a king who's going to come and he's going to make all things right again. And like, isn't this like what every political revolution ever has always been about? It's like there's this man or this woman, there's this leader, and he's got this new philosophy, and I can get behind it, and he's going to make everything right again. We, we, we long for this. Like, we long for a person to follow. And we also long for, like, especially now in our cultural moment, like, everybody feels entitled to their own opinion about how to make things right again. Like, we all kind of think, my philosophy, if everybody just did it the way I did it, we'd be good. We'd be cool. We long for this idea that there's, there's a king coming and we long for things to be made new or made right again. So today I'm going I'm to look at three different things about this promised king. We're going to look at the wisdom of the king. We're going to uh, look at the power of the king. And then we're going to look at the identity of the king, uh, who we know is Jesus. Uh, but we're going to look at Jesus, this promised king, and how he offers hope for the broken. So let me pray and then we'll get into it. Father, thank you so much for the moments that we share together this morning. Um, I ask that you would take these everyday, average, ordinary moments and that you would breathe on them. We have nothing outside of you. Um, I have nothing good to offer this morning. So we just ask for your presence. We say, come Holy Spirit, we need you. Um, would you illuminate Jesus and make it real? We're not here to transfer philosophies or ideas or anything new. We just need to encounter the person of Jesus. So would you help us to do that by the power of the Holy Spirit this morning? Amen. All right. The wisdom of the king. If you guys have your little things, you can look at it. But verse 3 says this, And his delight, this king, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. I don't know about you, but like every bad, dumb decision, dumb thing I've ever done has always been a reaction to something I've seen or I've heard, right? That's, that's my, most of the time it's just a reaction to something I, I thought that was true or it wasn't. Two examples. One, uh, the other day Kayla asked me, hey, babe, sweetie, I love you. Uh, do you think you could take out the trash? Great, great, like, setup, great asking of the question. Amazing, right? And just take out the trash. It's not that big of a deal. But what I hear, okay, not what she said, but what I hear is, when's the last time you took out the trash, babe? You're a bum, right? Now, she didn't... <laughs> She didn't actually say that, but, right, so, so you can, you, you guys know that feeling, like, you, they say one thing, but you hear something totally different, right, um, or <laughs> this just happened this week, uh, I just got out of a boot, I was in a boot for a long time, and I'm kind of pumped up, because I can start doing some different, like, cardio workouts, and I used to just play basketball all the time, but that's out for a little bit, so we went to an RPM class, like, the spinning class, oh, I found my element, guys, that's it for me, I'm so pumped, I love it, I had so much fun. Um, granted, it was, uh, there, there was the guy, there was the instructor who, who was a guy, and then 
uh, Kayla, and then everybody else in the class was probably between 40 to 60-year-old women, which is awesome. Um, so I got out of the class, and I, and I, and I walked out, and I was pumped. Like, I just had so, I, I don't think I had, like, dopamine or endorphins in my brain since, like, 10 weeks ago when I got a surgery. So I was just, like, buzzing, like, so pumped about life. And I came out, and I said, Pip, that was actually amazing, right? That's what I said, genuinely excited. Here, let, me, let me, to the fellows out there, never say the word actually, because that's the only word that they will hear, right? All she heard was that was actually amazing, because there was no other guys in there. You didn't think it was going to be amazing, right? So, anyways. Sometimes you can say something and it can be heard differently, or you can misperceive something. It's never, ever, ever that way with God. God never misperceives a situation. He never sees something how it actually isn't. And that's actually one of my favorite definitions for God's truth, is just reality. God always sees things how they actually are. That is truth. It's just God's reality. It's, it's, it's the real way that the world was made, right? And, and, and some. Sometimes, most of the time, that doesn't make sense to us, right? 1 Corinthians 3 says that the wisdom of man is foolish to God. And I'd say it's probably the same way. The wisdom of God is sometimes it's foolish to us, right? There's another verse in Isaiah that says that his ways or his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and our ways. God's wisdom is on a whole nother level than our wisdom. Um, it, it, it's paradoxical in nature, right? Sometimes it just doesn't make any sense. It's what some theologians call the upside-down kingdom. Let's, let's talk about money for a second. Uh, there's this dude named Dave Ramsey who does this thing called financial peace, who if you're like a Christian anywhere, you've probably heard of it. But at the same time, a lot of people who aren't Christians, they're like, financial peace. That sounds amazing. I'll sign up. I don't know anything about Jesus, anything about God, but I'll go to this financial peace seminar. Um, and then they sign, sign up, they sit down, and you know the first thing, I've never done the financial peace thing. This is what I hear that, that he does. I probably need it. Uh, but the first thing that he does is he, he says, when you make your budget, this is the first thing you need to do. You need to give. That makes no sense, right? He says, if you want to be financially free, this is, this is what God would say, if you want to be financially free and have peace and not be stressed out about your finances, you know what you should do? Give it away. That makes zero sense to me. Maybe it does to you, not to me, right? And scripture's full of this. If, if you want to be exalted, be humble, right? Uh, uh, if you want to find your life, lose it. That makes no sense to us, right? God's wisdom is on a whole nother plane, um, even, even the Christmas story, okay? Let, let's think about this. Uh, me and my staff team right here, we'll, we'll sit down in, in the next couple weeks and months and we'll kind of make this strategic plan of where we're gonna go. Every book everywhere says strategic planning, you gotta start with the end in mind, right? You start with the end and then you kind of make your plan to see, okay, this, if this is where we wanna go, if this is the vision, this is the mission, how I need to get there is A, B, C, D, whatever, okay? So let's just talk about Jesus. Jesus' staff meeting, Trinity. Holy Spirit, God, Father, Cam, and Jesus. We're all in this meeting, Okay. We're going to say, okay, here, here's what we're going to do. Uh, in 2019 years, we want mm, about a quarter of the world to worship us. Okay, that's a lot of people. That's like billions of people. More people are going to be born too. So we want about a quarter of the world to worship us. Uh, yeah, let's just, let's just say that vision out there, okay? Then I sit down and I have an idea, right? I'm like, okay, I have a great idea, guys. Uh, well, I think, so I went to the Air Force Academy for a year and they used to do these things that have these people jump out of the plane and, and, and the, they would parachute out and they would land and it would be amazing and they'd have these flyovers and it'd be a huge deal. And then everybody would go crazy, right? Like people would just celebrate, it would, be, it would go wild. I'm thinking, I've seen it before, uh, why don't we do that? Why don't we send you into the world like this, um, but let's do the Super Bowl, no parachute, boom. Everybody will go crazy, right? That's the best way to start this thing off. Big kickoff, big vision casting, let's do it, right? That, that makes sense to us. 
How did, Je- but how did God send Jesus into the world? He says he came in through a, a, a peasant family who was poor, who had no status and had no money, and he said, let's change the world. That's ridiculous. But the wisdom of God can be foolish to us. God's ways are higher than our ways. E- even the, kind of the definition of sin in a way uh, is just trusting our ways and not God's ways. It's thinking that we can decide what's right and what's wrong and not trusting what God says is right and wrong. The wisdom of God, his, his, his thoughts are higher, his ways are better. Number two, the power of the king. Let's, let's look back to verse two. It says this, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So Christ or Messiah in the Hebrew it really just means anointed one, okay? And, and in the Old Testament, uh, when they would anoint a new king, uh, the prophet would come and he would anoint the king with oil. And essentially all this is saying is he, he, the spirit of the Lord will be upon him. He'll be anointed with the spirit. He's, th- this king who's coming into the world, he won't, be, he won't need to be anointed by any kind of oil. No doTERRA, no lavender, no nothing. We just need, and he said he will be anointed by the spirit of God. And there's this beautiful Trinitarian scene in Matthew 3. Trinitarians means all the, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are there. Cam's left out of this staff meeting. Um, but they're all there, and Jesus is living, and he's getting baptized. And he's dunked under the water, and he's raised back up. And the Father's voice, right, it booms over creation. It says, this is my Son, with whom I'm well pleased. And then the Spirit comes, and it says that the Spirit lands on Jesus and descends on him like a dove. This is, this is kind of crazy. Is, so, 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 so the things that spring forward, that springboarded Jesus into his ministry was one, it was the Father's affirmation and approval, and then two, it was the Spirit of God. So everything Jesus did for three years, now after this, this is before he's done a thing in ministry, okay, this is, this is what springs him forward, everything he did was dependent on the Holy Spirit. I think we're very aware that Jesus is fully God, but I think sometimes we kind of forget that he was not, he wasn't 50% God, 50% man, he was fully God and fully Man, he, he came in as a man. He humbled himself down to the restrictions that being a man and a person must be. So therefore, Jesus was dependent on the Holy Spirit. So just stop for a second. If Jesus had to be totally dependent on the Holy Spirit, how much more do we need to be people who are dependent on the Holy Spirit? There's this author and pastor, Mark Sayers, who says this, why do we see such a gap between the power and the presence of God that we read of in the early church and our contemporary experiences of church and faith? How do churches and individuals renewed by the spirit and presence of God find themselves falling into decline and stagnation? You guys ever think that? Like you guys ever read the Bible and then look at your life and you're like, there's this massive gap between whatever God they're experiencing, whatever God I'm experiencing, there's just a gap there. So like I said earlier, Advent is about waiting. It's about waiting, and it's about sitting in this gap between, between what we experience and what God promises. But it's not just waiting for waiting's sake. It's waiting with this expectation, right? And I think for as bad as we are at waiting, I think we're way worse in the church at having expectation. There's another story, uh, Jesus, in, in, in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 6, 
uh, Jesus has done all the stuff, right? He's got the spirit on him, Father's affirmation, and he's moving around kind of from city to city, and his ministry is red hot, right? Like YouTube followers probably crazy nowadays, but he's, but he's crushing it, okay? Going from town to town, preaching the gospel. He's raising people from the dead. He's healing people. People are being delivered. Like he's, he's crushing it. And then he gets to what they called his hometown, right? He gets to Nazareth, and he shows up there, and he stands up on the synagogue, and he starts to preach and teach, and there's people in the room, it's Nazareth, right? It's his hometown. There's people in the room who are like, yo, isn't that Jesus? Like, that's the, that's the carpenter's kid. Like, that's the dude. I know Jesus. Like, I grew up playing t-ball with Jesus. And now he's standing up there preaching this stuff. And, and it's kind of crazy. Um, but then Jesus says this in verse 5. He says, and he could, it said, a prophet is not without honor in his hometown. And then there's this chilling verse that follows it. And it says that he could do no great work there. That's crazy to me. He could do no great work there. They were so familiar. They had, such, they had the expectations for Jesus already set. He's the carpenter's kid. He'll probably become a carpenter. What's he doing up there teaching? They had these expectations, very low expectations of what Jesus could do. Therefore, he met their expectations, and it said he could do no great work there. Their unbelief or their lack of expectation actually robbed Jesus of doing a great work there. So let me ask you this. What, what if there's more? What if there's more of God? What if there's more of his power and his presence and his spirit? And, and let me ask you this, do you feel bored? Do you feel stagnant? Does your faith ever feel lifeless? I'm always challenged by this A.W. Tozer quote. He says, he says, if you feel bored, you're not bored with God. You're bored with religion. You're not bored with the God of the Bible. Like You're not bored with him. You've never, ever, ever been bored with him but you're bored with whatever you think you're experiencing. It's, it's, like, it's like Moses went up to the mountain and then there's the people coming down there just seeing Moses. They might get bored with Moses. They weren't bored with the mountain who was on the God who Moses was encountering, right? I, I just have to ask myself that. What am I bored with? So Advent, Advent exists every year to call us back to the power of God, waiting expectantly for his power to break through where we feel powerless. It's waiting and, and experiencing the gap and then pressing into it. Number three, the identity of the king. Let's go to verse one. It says this, there shall come forth from a shoot. There, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So first off, I said I'm from Colorado. So every time you say you're from Colorado, there's this perception He's from Colorado. He must love nature. He must ski. He must snowboard. He probably hikes a bunch. That's not me at all, okay? I would rather go for a walk in the mall than along the MKT Trail. I'm sorry, okay? That's just who I am. Unashamedly, that's who I am. I want to I go to my cycling class in the classroom, not on the trail, okay? Let's do it in there. But... <laughs> Every time I'm from Colorado, people come up to me like, hey, oh, bro, tell me about your snow, bro. Like, they, they get this, like, snowboarding accent that just comes over them. And I'm like, dude, I, I, never, sorry. I don't know what slope I hit, sorry. But anyways, every time I get, like, the Jesus is always using, and the scripture itself is kind of always using, like, the nature and the trees and the roots and the fruits. And I'm always, I feel like I have to work extra hard because my mind, I just, nature is just tough for me, man. I'm thankful to be in 2019. I love technology. Um, Amen. Thank you. Um, but, but anyways, I get this picture, right? There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. So I'm not super well-educated on uh, nature, but a stump. I know what a stump is, okay? So we've got this stump, 
And it says that from it comes a shoot. So there's just like a branch that comes forth from this big stump. And it says that's, again, this is the wisdom of God. That's how the king is going to come. He's going to come as a little shoot, as a little branch from this stump. Okay, but let's look at verse 10. Verse 10 says this, and I read it probably 15 times before I even noticed this. It says this, in that day, the day the king comes, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the people's of him shall the nations inquire and his resting place be glorious. So the title, The Root of Jesse, it presents the Messiah, the coming king, as the source of the Davidic line, not just the product. Jesus is both the root and the shoot. So it's not just another man who's going to come. He's not, not just prophesying about, hey, there's this man who's going to come. He's going to make everything right. He's going to do what you could not do, all these different things. But Jesus writes himself into the story. It's the story that he's been writing all along, and there's this root, but he says, I'm going to put myself in there. And I think Jeremy said this last week, but the thing that separates being a Christian from any other religion in the whole world is every other religion is us trying to get to God, right? It's, it's us trying to be good enough, hit the P's, hit the Q's, check one, check two, check three, pray this many times a day, whatever it is. It's us trying to get to God. Well, Christianity is totally different. It's this. It's that God came to us. It's that God wrote himself into the story. Right, the most basic verse in all of Christianity, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his son out of God's love for his people, out of God's love for humanity. The world's not a system, it's a, it's a group of people and it's bad people. And out of his love for humanity and people, God writes himself into the story. Jesus was writing himself into the story not just to give you a new way of life or new ideals or principles, it was to save you. It was to do for you what you could not do for yourself. Jesus lived the life we were supposed to live. And then making, the perfect, making him the perfect sacrifice to die the death that we were supposed to die. And then invites us to respond to him. The scandalous love of God. That's, that's the gospel. And at the end of verse 10, I'm going to read it again. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for all the people, of him shall the nations inquire and his resting place shall be glorious. His resting place shall be glorious. So I said we're waiting. And if you put yourself back then, they were waiting for this new king to come. Well, he's come. Jesus wrote himself into the story. He, he did all the things he said he was going to do. He lived up to the claims. And now we are in this other season of still waiting, right? Where things have been made new, it's what theologians call the, the kingdom of God, the already but the not yet, where Jesus has come. He, he, he's already done stuff, and he's in the process of continuing to renew stuff. But it's not all the way done, right? And we all experience that. We've all got things. We've all got prayers that we've been praying that haven't been answered. We've all got relationships that are still broken. We've all got things in our lives that are not yet what God has promised. So even as we sit in this Advent, we wait for, for the power and the presence of God. We wait for more of him. But at the same time, it points us forward to what we're actually waiting for. We're waiting for this new resting place, this new space where, where, where God will, will, will make everything new. And, and the, there'll be no more wandering, no more anxiety. There, there will be this new, new found peace that only comes from God himself. And this is the hope for the broken, right? It's the hope for broken people. It's God meeting us, meeting our confusion and our lostness on how to live and how to try to figure everything out with his wisdom. 
It's God responding to our hopelessness and our, our just lack of power and our inability to change ourselves and inability to be effective or we just feel no power with his power. It's God responding to our sin and our shame with his grace, with him writing himself into the story to be the savior of the world, to be the king that we've always longed for, to be the king that we've always longed for. Let me pray.